for us. I don't know if, uh, if any of you else saw this, uh, but I saw a, an article in the New American this week. It said, high school sweethearts turn prayer warriors. I don't know if anybody saw that. Um, it was a really beautiful article uh, about Claude and Debbie Bennett and the ministry that they're doing in the community with intercessory prayer, bringing people together from all different churches and different areas. And they, they meet together and they do intercessory prayer and, 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 and trying to redeem and restore and rebuild the community. Uh, and so we just appreciate that. And, uh, and we appreciate the work they do here. They're the head of our prayer team here. And so check it out, you know, and, and it's, it's actually a very, I think it's a very sweet article. And I like the title, High School Sweethearts, because that's what you guys are. Thank you, Claude. All right. Praise the Lord. Well, praise and worship just was really good. And I just still have a few hallelujahs left. In Go the ahead. Room, so <laughs> hallelujah. All right. Let's just lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence today. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy towards us. We just pray today that our hearts would be pliable, that your word, God, would enter in and produce a harvest in our lives. We pray that you would bless the pastor, give him strength. Uh, let the, your Holy Spirit rest upon him as he delivers the message in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is the last Sunday in this sermon series, Totally Free. Um, and we're going to launch another sermon series. I, I, I wasn't sure if we were going to jump into a book of the Bible, which we're going to do. But we're going to do one more series, and then we'll jump into a book. And the next series I'm actually really excited about. I've been thinking about this and chewing on this and praying about this. For a long time, um, this next series is called Great Adventures in the Story of God. And we're going to go through and we're going to go through the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And we're going to hit the big epic adventures, the big epic stories. God, God communicates to us through stories. Jesus told parables. The scripture is full of stories and the, and the characters in these stories, the people that embodied these stories are examples for us. We can relate to them, and we need to see ourselves as being part of God's story. And so we're going we're gonna to dive in for a few weeks. Um, your, your biblical literacy will shoot through the roof. You'll be able to, you know, talk about Noah and Moses and Joseph and David, and just like no problem, Ruth and Sarah, and you'll just be, you'll just be a whiz. Um, uh, your your, your uh, Bible trivia will also increase in this series. So so look forward to that. Um, but today we're going to talk about uh, the last sermon in this series. We've talked about how God wants to free us from the invisible wounds, the hurts, the pains, the struggles, the heartaches that we've carried from our past, the, you know, the emotional wounds that we've carried. God wants to heal us from those, and he's given us in his scripture um, you know, clues as to the process of how we come through those. We talked about that. We talked about um, the persistent habits that a lot of us face, the sins, the issues, the habits, the hang-ups, whatever, that we keep facing over and over, and how God wants to bring us through that. We've talked about freedom from fear, uh, and anxiety, and dread, and, you know, um, worry. We've talked about how God really does want to liberate us from that. This, you know, he's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. He wants to liberate us to do what he's called us to do. And then last week, we talked about pride, and how this pervasive force of pride can hinder us and keep us from going forward in what God wants to do. Um, today, we are actually going to talk about freedom from religion. Uh, this is a fascinating, you know, I, some of you may say, interesting topic inside of a church. Um, but, but really, uh, as we'll get into, 
Christ came to set us free from the yoke of religion and to set us free into a relationship with God. He, he, he really has called us to be in relationship with him. And I know that that can become a Christianese sort of cliched thing to say, but it is the reality of what he came to do. He came to interact with us in a very meaningful and deep, real way that is not you know, robotic and mechanical. He came to set us free from the yoke of religion. Um, sometimes we, we sort of want to bargain with God, and, and I was reminded of a conversation between um, God and a man uh, that, that the man was trying to, to bargain with God. The man said, God, how long is a million years to you? And God said, a million years is but a second. And the man said, God, how much is a million dollars to you? And God said, a million dollars is but a penny to me. The man said, God, can I have a penny? And God said, sure, just a second. Um, so, so, you know, we, we, try to, we, try to have, we try to have this bargain with God. We try to relate to God through our reli- religiosity. And I, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, that is the vision of my relationship with God that I had. I did not have a vision of my relationship with God as a loving father who loves me despite what I do. I had the vision of a relationship with God where I was a terrified servant who, if I made one misstep, God may come down and hammer me. Uh, And so when I fled from the faith, so to speak, as a teenager, I was fleeing from what I perceived to be the nature of the relationship between me and God, not understanding what the true relationship is that God wants to have with us. Um, And in Galatians, we're going to read a little bit about Galatians, and I urge you to read the book of Galatians on this topic, because in Galatians, Paul writes these these Galatians, these these folks that were um, in an area that he had helped to form, and he's writing to them to strongly deter them from falling back into a mode of legalism and moralism that had sort of swept into that community. Um, There are parts in Galatians, and I'll just be candid with you, when you read some of the parts in Galatians, you can tell Paul is ticked off when he writes this book. And some of the language he uses is very colorful. Um, and, And he uses some metaphors that I'll just leave you to explore um, because they're, they're pretty intense. He's, um, he, was, he wrote it in the context uh, of about 15 or 20 years after um, the life of Christ. And so, just for a, a bit of historical background, so shortly after the life of Christ, within the 10, 15, 20 years following Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, the, all of the initial converts to Christ were Jewish. And so they were all following the law. They were all part of the 1613 commandments that were part of the Torah and, and that trickled, trickle out into all areas of life and instruct you on literally every imaginable aspect of life. All of the first converts to Christ were Jewish, and so they were following those laws. Then, when the gospel began to spread out to non-Jews, to Gentiles and people from other countries, there arose a very important question within the early church. And the question is this. Do they need to convert to Judaism to then convert 
to become a follower of Christ. Because the early followers of Christ did not consider themselves as creating a separate religion outside of Judaism. They believed themselves to be Jews who had discovered the Messiah. And so they were, many of them were still practicing the law. They were going to synagogue every week. They were adhering to the Torah rules. They were doing all of that. And the question for them was, when we meet these Gentiles who have no idea what's going on in terms of the law, do they need to convert to, to Judaism and then convert to uh, Christianity? And so there was a council in about 50 AD, and Paul was there, Peter was there, James was there, Barnabas was there, all these guys who were right there at the time of Christ, they all get together to hammer this out. And there were different views. Some of them said, yes, you know, people need to keep, you know, adhering to the laws of Moses um, before they become Christians. And others said, no, Jesus came to liberate us from the law so that we could fulfill the law and our love for Christ. Um, And ultimately, they found, if you look in the book of Acts in chapter 15, they declared that the Mosaic law in terms of the, you know, all of the uh, ceremonial laws and the ritualistic laws and all that, the Gentiles do not need to convert to that, right? Because we are going to, we're going to live in liberty. Christ came to bring us liberty. And yet, so that was a difficult issue for some people. So Paul wrote, is that clear what, what happened? So Paul wrote um, the book of Galatians, um, and I'm going to read some of it about it. And, and one of the main emphasis that he wanted to tell the church in Galatia was that it's not about following the rules. Living for Christ, being a follower of Christ, is not about following a set of rules. I don't know about you, but, but I'm kind of a rules guy. My, uh, I would have been a Pharisee if I lived in the first century. Uh, no. Uh, my son Jameson, though, is a major rules guy. In fact, we had a meeting um, with one of his teachers, but in, in, a, in a prior meeting, the teacher told us that Jameson, you know, he's four years old. He goes to a, a Lutheran school down in Rock, Rock Hill. Um, and she said that there, there was an instance, or more than one apparently, where one of, the, one of the kids at the lunch table didn't pray before he ate. So Jameson took it upon himself to push the boy's plate away and say... <laughs> You need to pray before you eat your lunch. <laughs> Teacher's like, oh, okay, you know, it's, uh, I can take care of the instructions here, you know. And then uh, there was another instance where a boy, after, you know, after eating, got up and went to play. Jameson shot out of his chair, ran after the guy, collared him, brought him back, and said, you need to ask to be excused before you leave the table. <laughs> so... Which is kind of good, uh, but, but, you know, the problem is when it comes back to me, like if there are rules in our house, and we have rules in our house, and if I break them, he knows about it. I say, hey, Dad. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll fix that. I won't leave that dish in the sink, son. Sorry about that. Um, because we're humans, we like predictability. We like simplicity. We like to know that there are a set of rules that have been dictated from on high that if we conform to those rules, then we will appease God and we will have God's good favor. We like that. That's very well organized. And for some of us who have, you know, maybe good discipline or good will, we say, look, just give me the rules. Line them out for me and I'll follow them. But this is the, the mechanical, the methodical approach, the robotic approach that Paul is explicitly rejecting in the book of Galatians. 
Why? Because he wants us to learn that we don't love God or adhere to God's will out of obligation. We do it out of an effusive joy and gratitude for the sacrifice that Christ gave us when he died on the cross. The, the, the story of the gospel is so simple that it's actually hard to preach because you can't give the one, you know, point one, point two, point three, do this, that, and the other thing, and you'll be good. The gospel is very simple. God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins in our place. It's a free gift, and we just respond to that. We just open our hearts and affirm that and accept that gift. That's it. That's the story. That's the gospel story in a nutshell. In Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to explain some of this because some of it will come off a little uh, difficult because we're not in that time period, so I want to contextualize some of it. But he says, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And he's, not, he's, he's, talking about, he's talking about the law. He says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. Let me stop right there before we get totally ex- distracted. So, you know, in, in, in early Israelite religion and in Judaism, part of the pra- there were a number of ritualistic practices, and one of them was circumcision. circumcision. And so what they would require is that when a non-Jew converted to Judaism, one of the rituals that he would perform would be that he would be circumcised. And then he would also have to follow all of these other rituals and laws. And Paul is using circumcision as a metaphor for the whole thing, all of the law, all of the rules. So he says, I, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. In other words, if you are going to adhere to the law, then this free gift over here that Christ has given to you, that's no good to you because you're not accessing it. You're trying to please God through the law. Uh, will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So he said, if you're going to rely on the law, that's fine. You got to rely on the whole law. You got to keep the whole law. You got to, you got to adhere to all 613 commandments impeccably or else, uh, you know, or else you're missing the boat. So if you're going to lean on that, you got to go the whole way with that. But I'm telling you, there's another, there's another way. Um, you are severed, he says, from Christ. You, you, you would be justified by the law. Uh, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. This is fascinating because, I mean, when I was a kid, the way that I thought a person would fall away from grace is to commit sins, right? Paul is saying, no, it's not the commission of sins that makes you fall away from grace. It's the rejection of grace for the law that makes you fall away from grace. When you are unwilling to accept Christ's sacrifice for you and you instead decide to rely upon your adherence to the law, you've severed yourself from the grace that Christ extends to you. Um, There was a preacher uh, that I heard this week who said, he was comparing this Galatians passage to Colossians, and he said, the greatest threat to the gospel is not unrighteous badness, It's self-righteous goodness. That's the greatest threat. And the reason is, is because the unrighteous badness, the folks that are committing unrighteous badness, they know it. And we know it. And you can see it. And it's like, you know, right there on their their sleeve. And when we do it, we know it. Right? 
So we, we can, you know, it, it's, it's, it's obvious to us, and we say, God, I'm sorry. I messed up, right? But it's when we are, our self-righteous goodness, that's invisible, right? Because then we're, we're doing what we're supposed to do, right? But when we rely upon that as the determinative factor between our, us and God, God's saying, you're relying on something that I'm, that's not my gift. My gift is over here. My gift is grace. My, great, my, my gift is the sacrifice. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9 uh, there's a whole part of it, but I'm only quoting part of it. It says, for by grace um, are you saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. Not as a result of works so that no one can boast. So what Paul is saying in Ephesians, and he's similar to what he's saying in Galatians, is there is a gift that is accessible to you. Don't, if you rely on your works, then you're going to say, hey, look, I'm so good. That God loves me. And that is the, that is the perception that, that Paul is trying to break down. And, and notice what this does. When we, ra- when we accept this radical notion, what this does is this makes it impossible for us to judge other people. So if I'm standing here and I'm saying, look, I've been really good for the last three months. And I have just been walking the straight and narrow. And I haven't, you know, lost my temper. I haven't messed up in any way. And I'm just going along great, Right. Somebody else who's struggling with some sin or some whatever, I'm now in a position, if I'm relying upon my righteousness, I'm in a position to look down at them and say, ha, my relationship with God is much better than your relationship with God because I'm doing good and you're messing up, right? But we're comparing ourselves to each other. If we compared ourselves to Christ, we might not have that same analysis, right? And so God is saying, look, my sacrifice is for this guy and for this guy. Right. This guy, because he's messing up, he might actually be more aware of the of the gift than I am because I'm relying on my righteousness. Does that is that clear? This is why throughout the scripture we see over and over again that it's the person that we don't expect that gets the gospel before the righteous person. Right. So the prostitute understands grace before the Pharisee in the scripture. The prodigal younger brother, he understands the grace before the righteous older brother. Is this a story about not being the righteous older brother? No. Be the righteous older brother, but don't rely upon your righteousness for your relationship with God, right? The thief on the cross understands grace, whereas the leader of the Sanhedrin out in the audience doesn't get it, right? The guy that's next to Jesus on the cross is saying, I've been a complete screw-up my entire life. I'm about to die I need some grace, right? He gets it. Um, The woman caught in adultery understands grace. The religious elites with the stones in their hand don't get it. So the gospel is revealed slowly, and sometimes our own self-righteousness can get in the way of us understanding what what it's all about. So number one, it's not about following the rules. Number two, it's not about our achievements. It's not about our achievements or our status in life, okay? Um, when I was in college and I was applying for graduate work, I went to our counselor and he wanted to see my resume. And, you know, your resume, you know, in college is about this big. You know, it says high school, college. And then, uh, and so not much on there. And the, and the counselor says, okay, so here's what we want you to do. And he kind of described what he wanted me to do and go out and, and sort of work for these different groups and get involved in some volunteerism and that kind of thing, right? He wanted me to pad, pad my resume, Basically, right? He wanted me to, 
you know, not to say that I did stuff that I didn't do, but why don't you go out there and do some stuff so that we can put it on your resume, right? So, you know, I ended up doing um, a really cool mission down in Rosarito, Mexico. We built houses for people. And, you know, the, the, you know, the irony is I wouldn't have done that except that I needed to pad my resume. And so I'm down there and I'm doing it and I'm going, wow, this is actually really amazing and really important, you know. And I think God used that experience to help, help me figure it out. But it's not about, ultimately, it's not about our resume. It's not about our achievements. Um, and I, I don't say that to say I don't want us to have great achievements. I do. I, I pray that the, that the kids in our church grow up and they, go, they become whatever it is that God has called them to be. They get their degrees. They get PhDs and JDs and MDs and all the other Ds and Es and whatever. Or, or they, they find the career that fits them, you know. I want, I want us as individuals to accomplish what God has for us, right? But there's a distinction between doing that and relying upon that for our identity in Christ, right? So here's Paul saying, I love this. Paul says, if you want to compare resumes, let's compare resumes. Paul says, if anyone else, in Philippians 8, 5 through 9, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul is not Paul is not messing around. He's like, look, you think you're all that? Pull out your resume. Let's just compare. I have more reason to have confidence in my flesh than you do. Circumcised on the eighth day, I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. I'm in this high sect of religious order. As to zeal, I'm a pers- I was a persecutor of the church, which means... He was of the high, you know, he had the greatest zeal. He was willing to go out there and persecute anyone who wasn't doing it exactly right in, in, in his eyes. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. I'm perfect, man. Don't, don't try to mess with me because I'm perfect, Paul is saying. And, 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 and let me tell you something. If you, think, if you think you're perfect, he just wants you to know there's somebody better than you. I mean, I love reading Paul. I don't know if I would want to hang out with the guy. Um, But he's just telling you, just in case you think you're awesome, he's more awesome. Then he says, but whatever gain I had, whatever achievements I've had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. For his sake, I count them as rubbish. My accomplishments, my impeccable credentials, my resume, my stuff, all my, all, my, all my accolades, nothing. Absolute trash. Absolute trash in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends upon faith. I don't have the righteousness of my credentials and my legal obligations and my moral duties. That's not what I'm relying on, Paul says. That's all fine, but in, in terms of how I relate to God, it's meaningless. This is nothing. It's absolutely nothing. I rely upon my, the faith that God has put in my heart, the grace that he extends to me, the sacrifice that he performed for me. 
I mean, this, this, is a, this is a radical departure from religious thought in general at the time, not only from Judaism, but globally. Because in, in much of religious thought, we learn that you appease the deity or you accomplish the spiritual goal, whatever it is, by performing certain acts and doing them well. And you will be benefited when you perform them well. And then, you know, you, you, you will not be or you will displease the deity when you don't do it well. And Jesus is saying, when you're sinners, I died for you. you you're, I'm not coming after. You're not, you're not coming into my world based upon what you've done. I'm coming into your world based on what I've done. That's what he's saying. So it's not about our achievements. Um, Third, and this is, these are all sort of tied together, it's all about him. It's the whole faith, this freedom that we're talking about, the faith in Christ, it's all about him and his act. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I like to be, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy who likes to be in control of things. Like, I, like if, if we're driving, I like to drive. It makes me nervous if somebody else drives. You know, I'm like reaching for the pedals. Uh, I, I like to make sure that I'm, you know, kind of controlling things. Um, I don't think I'm saying I'm a control freak. I don't think I said that. Did I, did I say that? Um, but I'm not. Um, but, you know, when I get on a plane, I relinquish. You've got to relinquish control, right? Whether that plane flies or whether that plane crashes, there's nothing you can do back in, you know, 21C to make any difference, Right? You're back there having a club soda, you know, praying. <laughs> the pilot is in charge, right? The pilot will determine whether or not you're going to fly or whether or not you're going to crash. In the, in the Christian faith, it boils down to one person, one man. And it's not you and it's not me. Our faith is grounded in an event. It's grounded in an event that occurred long before any of us were born. It's grounded in the sacrifice that Christ made when he died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. That, that event is in, informs the entirety of our faith. That's the whole deal. Um, most religious practice is, is a merit-based system where your conduct controls the outcome of your life. But Christianity is a Messiah-based system where his conduct, controls the outcome of your destiny. It's a complete reversal of what we would anticipate and what the first century world uh, imagined. In Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. By the death of his son. So we weren't even striving for him. We were enemies. We were fighting him. And while we were fighting him. He saved us. He reached out. And reconciled us with God. 1 Corinthians. uh, 2. 1 through 2. Says. uh, Paul says. And I came to you brothers. I did not come proclaiming to you. The testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
the message that Paul is hammering home in no uh, uncertain terms is that it's not about you, it's not about me. All of this is reliant upon Christ, what he did for us. Um, Tim Keller is a, is a great preacher in New York, and uh, he had this quote that I really loved. He says, The gospel of justifying faith means that while Christians are in themselves still sinful and sinning, yet in Christ, in God's sight, they are accepted and righteous. So we can say that we are more wicked than we ever dared believe, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. And we can say these two things at the same time. Because while we were yet sinners, he loved us. I love that. Um, and then uh, there, there's one more quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon that I just wanted to read to you, and I think it's in your bulletin. It says, The bridge of grace will bear your weight, brother. Thousands of big sinners have gone across that bridge. Yea, tens of thousands have gone over it. Some have been the chief of sinners. Some have come at the very last of their days, but the arch has never yielded beneath their weight. I will go with them, trusting to the same support. It will bear me over as it has for them. This bridge of grace. This bridge of saying, look, I'm going to rely not on myself. I'm going to rely on Christ. I'm going to rely on his sacrifice to save me. Um, And the final point I want to make is use your freedom for good. Paul closes this book, this chapter in Galatians um, by saying, don't take this freedom and just, just blow it. He says, I want you to take this freedom and do something good with it. You know, we've all seen stories or read stories about someone who was incarcerated and for some reason or other they, they, they're released and you, you want them, you're just praying that they will stay on the right track, you know, but because of circumstances or because of past issues or whatever it is, they stumble and they end up back incarcerated and it just breaks your heart because you go, oh, you had your freedom, you had your freedom, you know, and then you, you, you lost it, you know. Um, Paul says in as he's closing out uh, Galatians 5, he says, For you you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled. The whole law is fulfilled. In one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, look, you're free. You're not bound by the yoke of slavery by the, by the yoke of religion, by the yoke of the law. You're not bound by that anymore. You're free. And out of your freedom, let there be a generous pouring out of generosity, love, service, good conduct. Make your life count. Make it count. You've been freed. You've been liberated. Make it count. Make it count for something. Not in this oppressive, guilt-ridden, shameful way, just know that you're free and out of that let, that, let that freedom, let the joy of your freedom bubble over in your life so that you can minister to others and free others from the, sla- from the, the oppressive slavery of sin and, and of religion in their life. Amen? Um, and then he closes with this. He says, whoops, okay, I don't think I put that scripture in there, but he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Let this guide your life. Live this way, he says. Live this way in freedom. Um, when I truly began to understand in my later life after leaving the church for 15 years, began to, to, to sort of come around and read some books, uh, you know, read C.S. Lewis and start showing up in the back pew of a church and just kind of listening in. When nobody knew me, you know, like he's not the past preacher's son, he's just some dude that's just sitting in the back, you know. Um, I started to hear for the first time in my life the real gospel story, or at least I began to open my ears to it. And realized that, you know, all that I had believed about having to please God through my works was just not a part of the faith. That's not, that's not what's taught in the scripture. That God, in my sin, in my darkness, in my time of, you know, being out there and away from God completely, that he was with me that whole time. That he loved me that entire time. That, his, that, that while I was yet a sinner, he loved me. And, you know, it was, it was that understanding, it was that knowledge, it was that, really that information that made me go, I want to respond to that. I want to respond to that grace and lead a life that is worthy of that calling. And by God's grace, he, he drew me in and has, and has changed my life and helped me to lead a life that is pleasing, that, that is pleasing and is, is in line with the scripture. So I, I just want to encourage you today, and I'm going to close with this, this little quote from a, an English Baptist preacher from the 1800s, a, a song that he wrote. He was, this guy was well-liked by his congregation and they actually, uh, there was a little chapel in their village. And the, the congregation, after he'd been there many years, they offered to give him this chapel. And he said, I don't want the chapel. He said, I only want the pulpit. And when I cease to preach Christ, then kick me out of that. His name was Edward Moat. Ed, Edward Moat uh, died in 1874. And he's buried in, in the backyard of that church. They never kicked him out. He, he, he taught Christ. He preached Christ his whole life. And he wrote this song that's beautiful. It's called My Hope is Built. And it says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And then the, the refrain says, On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let Christ be that rock for you today. Open your heart and just let him take over. Don't try to, don't try to, don't try to do it yourself. You can't do it. I can't do it. None of us can do it. We can't adhere to the perfection of the law. Just let God's grace and mercy pour into your life today. Give it over to him and he'll set you free. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much.